Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there and welcome to another AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I hope things are going well with you. Uh, Today is a great topic because it's something I haven't really touched on before. And I love after 326 episodes to find something that I haven't discussed at all. And we're going to be talking about how to reduce inflammation to improve mental health. And there's been more and more discussion in the last decade, and especially over the last few years post COVID, about inflammation and how it does impact our mental health and how. There is a correlation, and inflammation is suspect in creating a lot of mental health issues. And as parents raising kids with anxiety or OCD, we want to know all the different ways that we can help improve our kids' mental health in lots of different capacities. And so, learning how we can improve their health and their inflammation is a really great supplement to everything else that we're doing. Before I get started, I have a few things to discuss. I want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy. They are available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S., and you can schedule your free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is a right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. I'll leave a link in the show notes. Another thing I want to mention to you is that I had to look at my calendar. This podcast is coming out because I always record them ahead of time. So sometimes I'm like, wait, when is this coming out? It is coming out when the AT Parenting community has its doors open. And so this is coming out on Tuesday, August 15th, 2023, for those of you that are listening currently in real time. And the doors will close to the AT Parenting community for this round on August 17th. That's Thursday. And we open our doors every few months throughout the year so that we can focus on members inside of the community. And this is one of those times that it's open. So if you've been trying to join the AT Parenting community or you didn't realize it was open right now, you can learn more about it and join us at atparentingcommunity.com. Just a brief overview of what we do over there. I have my podcast that's free. I have my YouTube channel that's free. I have my online school where you can buy courses at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. And so you can just get a course on a particular topic. But a lot of parents wanted much more in-depth support. And so I created this membership community that is less than a copay per month. And you get crazy amount of in-depth support, not only from me, but from the other. Um, We normally have about 1,300 members in there at any given time. And you get free access to some of my courses to jumpstart you. You get ongoing access to ask me questions in the forums and our member website. I do live classes on Zoom every single week. And they're intimate where it's just me and a group of parents that are talking about a topic that they voted on. And we have support group calls once a month on Zoom. And we have a kid support group call as well and a teen support group call. And that is honestly just the tip of the iceberg. We have guest speakers. We have a library of resources. It is actually support on steroids. So check that out at atparentingcommunity.com. And I look forward to meeting you and getting to know you better over there. Okay, I want to introduce my guest for today. I am going to be talking to Dr. Ann Colts, who is a best-selling author. She is the founder and CEO of the Healthy Living School. She's a motivational speaker. She is a physician. She's been featured on the Dr. Oz Show, Oprah and Friends Radio, Time Magazine, WebMD, Prevention, US News and World Report. She is a wife. She's a mother to four, and she is very passionate about health well and wellness and has so much information on inflammation and i always think about what are the questions that i get asked the most that i really don't have any resources for and eating healthy and inflammation are two of the big ones and so i was very excited that our lives crossed paths and that her work came into my focus and my my work came into her focus and we were able to discuss each other's work. And I was like, I just have to have you on the podcast because there's just so much value in what you're teaching. And a lot of us don't know where to get started. So just some caveats, obviously this is not medical advice, even though she's a a medical doctor, consult your 
physician for uh, individual advice, but I think you're going to find her expertise and her knowledge very helpful. And, you know, I was just making a mental list in my head of like all the things I need to change. (laughs) In fact, after I stopped recording my podcast with her and I came out and my kids are off from school because I'm recording this like a month ahead of when you're going to be listening to it. Actually, not not that far ahead. A few weeks. Everybody's home, including my my college daughter. So I come out and I'm like, we need to change the way we're eating. (laughs) I was like, you know, fortunately for me, well, and I talk about this in my podcast episode with Dr. Ann, but I have found a service that actually cooks healthy foods for you. And it is definitely an indulgence in the sense of like, it's a financial commitment to have someone cook your meals for you that are local and like give them to you. But I could not eat healthy any other way. And I realized, and this isn't really what this episode is about, but I realized when my husband died and you know, we don't have immediate friends and family like local that can just jump in, God forbid something happens to me. So my health became a huge priority when Jimmy died. And I was like, I'm 50. And it's not just this midlife crisis of like, oh, I should get healthy now, or I want to be thin. It's like, I only have one kidney left. That's kind of how I looked at it. Like I have young kids still. My daughter's 11. I need to be here at least for another eight or nine years. And I know that's very fatalistic and morbid, but you start to think about this when you are a widow, a young widow. And so I did find this, this service that, you know, makes me feel good because I'm eating only what they feed me and it's healthy. Um, And I started doing like just 20 minute exercises per day. I found this woman on YouTube who does like menopausal YouTube videos. And she's so kind. She's always like, you don't have to do more, just do it consistently. Anyway. I don't care about my weight, but I feel really so much healthier and my mental health feels sharper. And we want to be able to gift that to our kids on some level, but they're not typically in that space to do those things. Some kids are. Sometimes it's a clinical issue. Like they have, um, I did a couple of episodes on orthorexia, you know, and clean eating where it turns into OCD. So we have to be super careful. Like if you're dealing with that, be careful with the information that you're going to hear on this podcast and how you convey that to your kids if orthorexia is their OCD theme. The other barrier, and I did talk to Dr. Ann about this at the end of her uh, interview, is we may know what our kids need to eat or what would help them. But if you have a child with ARFID um, or restrictive food intake issues, getting them to eat at all is hard. And so to radically change their diet is 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 going to be impossible. And so it's starting with one small step. So we do have that discussion. I have that discussion with Dr. Ann at the end of the interview, but I do want to share that with you so that as you're listening to the things that she's telling you, because she is just a wealth of knowledge and she is just, it's a water hydrant you know, of information. Don't overwhelm yourself. Remind yourself that it's just one step at a time. She does talk at the end about fermented food and I went outside uh, of my office just now and I said to my son, who many of you know, if you listen to my episodes, it was very restrictive eating. I mean, he goes on food jags where he will only eat a certain type of food. Right now he is only eating Takis. For those of you that don't know what that is, it's unhealthy chips. (laughs) It's like spicy chips. Takis and pizza rolls are like his two primary things. He really does not eat anything that doesn't come out of a box. And it's that or he gets G-tubed. Like it's very hard to get him to eat anything. And so I did explain that to her, but he does love spicy food. And so I I left my interview and I said, Hey, do you like kimchi? And he, I'm like, you know, that spicy kind of um, fermented Korean cabbage. And he's like, Oh yeah, I love kimchi. And I was like, well, I just heard that it's really good for your anxiety and OCD and good for your stomach. It can help with your nausea because some of his intrusive thoughts are about feeling nauseous. And he's like, Oh, you mean it could help get rid of that? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, I would eat it all the time. And that's that's my entry point. It's like, if I can do that, if I can just start with that and that can help him, that's a great place to start. So I'm saying that because you might get a little overwhelmed (laughs) and just realize that this is all good information and you just take it one step at a time. When we know these things, like when you have a map in your head of what causes inflammation and what things can reduce it, then you can take it one small drip at a time, which is what Dr. Ann says at the end. She also was gracious enough to give you guys 30% off of her course, how to eat to reduce inflammation, because you will see she has so much information 
it's a lot. And it's something that you're going to want at your fingertips. It's something that you might want to digest slowly, no pun intended. And so I do leave a link in the show notes and on my website with the special link that will have the 30% already embedded into it. So when you click on it, you'll already get the 30% off. That's just for you guys. So look for that special link either in the show notes, if you're you know listening to this on iTunes or go to my website and find this page that most of you might be listening from the page at atparentingsurvival.com. And if you can't find it, just scroll down to the search button and just type in inflammation. And only this episode will pop up because this is the only episode I have on this topic. So I hope that you find this interesting and helpful. I know you will. She's a fantastic resource and she will be my new go-to resource when it comes to healthy eating and lifestyle and inflammation. And so without further ado, here is my interview with Dr. Anne. All right. Well, I want to welcome Dr. Ann Kultz to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. My great pleasure. Thank you so much, Natasha. I'm excited to have you and we're going to stop and let you introduce yourself, but I, we're going to be talking about inflammation today. And I have not talked about that on the podcast and I've not had an expert come on and talk about inflammation. And yet it is such a common discussion in the mental health world. So looking forward to diving deep into that. But before we get right. started, can you give people just a snapshot overview of, of who you are? Sure, sure. So I'm a physician that specializes in wellness. And my clinical background was in bread and butter primary care. I had a very busy, robust family medicine practice, but I've had this sort of lifelong interest in nutrition and healthy living. I got my undergraduate degree in food science and nutrition, you know, then went on to medical school, really never thinking that nutrition would really make its way into my professional life as a physician. Well, lo and behold, um, about really beginning in the 80s and the 90s, the data started flooding in that, oh my goodness, diet really is sort of the master lever and, and a master driver of most all you know chronic diseases to include the mental health disorders, and particularly as it relates to inflammation. And so I decided, uh, took a huge loop, leap of faith about, let's see, 23 years ago, 24 years ago, left my clinical practice to solely devote myself to nutrition and healthy living. And I've done it through every possible channel. I've written many books. I've done lots of media appearances. I have my own online healthy living school, the healthy living school. Uh, I'm a pro professional speaker. So just, I really have looked for every, any and all channels to get the word out on the control that people have through diet and lifestyle to totally transform their health, prevent disease, and in some cases, even reverse disease. So. Yeah, you've got a lot of expertise. And I think it's just great that you kind of focused on that as your passion, because we need more people out there in that world. There's been more talk just lately. And I actually think COVID has helped with this I do too. in a weird sort of way that this, con this and we're going to focus on mental health just because that's what I do. There's been suspicion. And from a lot of us, it's not rocket science that there was inflammation, you know, related to mental health issues and specifically yes. about OCD, that the inflammation and OCD, but yes. in a lot of mental health issues. And mm -hmm. I feel like there's been a spike in understanding that and research and talk about that since COVID with inflammation and all this increase in mental health as well. Yes, exactly. So, you know, there, there was a little, you know, silver lining in COVID as horrible as it was. And it did bring to the forefront some really important topics in, in our world. And as most people probably know, most COVID deaths were not so much driven directly by the virus, but were caused because people had so much background pre-existing inflammation. And then they went into a cytokine storm. And then, you know, with COVID, it sort of made manifest so much more mental illness, right? And so, you know, we've known for a while that excess inflammation and the brain is sort of the universal destructor and the universal sort of aggravant, right? And it could be different areas and different inflammation, different areas is what manifests different, you know, neurodegenerative conditions or mental health disorders. And the good news is we know that we have control of that toxic inflammation through diet and lifestyle. And that's, that's a really important thing for people need to understand. And I think we should clear the air with that right now that, that, 
we would not be long on this earth if it wasn't for our cells' ability to mount an inflammatory response. So some inflammation is life-saving and good, right? So that's the healthy inflammation. And that inflammation, its purpose is healing and self-defense, right? Inflammation is actually how we heal. And inflammation is how we defend ourselves against potentially harmful things coming in from the external environment. Think viruses, bacteria, environmental toxins. But when inflammation extends in time or space beyond its useful purpose for healing or self-defense, it becomes very damaging. That is the inflammation, Natasha, that we are talking about that is involved in mental health disorders like OCD. Uh, and, and I call it you know, toxic inflammation in medicine. We call it meta-inflammation. Okay. So I wonder what are some and this is probably a big topic, but some implications of what causes that toxic inflammation. I mean, in the yes. in yes. the OCD world, we have PANS and PANS, which really is often like with PANS, it's just a very generic, it could be anything that's causing inflammation, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. mold or it's an infection. But I think in general, yeah. I know my family autoimmune yeah. run rampant and I don't feel, and, and so does anxiety and OCD and mental health issues. And I feel like that's not a coincidence. You know, exactly. I feel like they're very interconnected for a lot of our families. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we know what the drivers of this toxic inflammation are, and here they are. Diet and diet is, you know, I consider diet sort of the master lever. So diet, uh, environmental, you know, toxins, things, you know, and, and noxious things in, in the environment, poor sleep, chronic stress, lack of physical activity. And excess alcohol, which you could say is an outside to- is an outside toxin, right? Alcohol is toxic and excess for sure. So those those are the primary drivers. And if you think about those things, wow, boy, do we have you know we have control in a you know in a sense certainly adults over a hundred percent what goes through our mouths. We have control over our, our movement. There are definitely things we can do to improve our sleep. There are definitely things we can do that can imp- reduce our exposure to noxious toxins from the external environment. And we certainly can control excess alcohol intake. Those, those are the avenues that I do my work in. Um, and I do think with inflammation that diet's the master lever. If you think about, okay, what are, what, what are the strategies for countering that? It's just basically, okay, what can I do to eat the anti-inflammatory foods and get out the pro-inflammatory foods? What can I do to move more? And move more in a healthy way. What can I do to sleep better? What can I do to reduce my exposure to environmental toxins? Right. What can I do to reduce my chronic stress? And there's interrelationship between those things, as you know, right? At what diet and exercise are great for reducing stress. Yeah. Yeah. And let's start with how do you even know? And this is primarily we're talking about kids, but I think it's interesting for parents to hear about it for themselves as well. Like, mm-hmm. how do you even know if you're having an issue with inflammation? Great question. So this toxic inflammation, you know, we do know it is the primary driver of most all chronic diseases. I mean, when I say that, the entire metabolic family diseases, that's the prediabetes, diabetes, fatty liver, you know, obesity. Then we have the neurodegenerative conditions. We have mental health disorders. We have some cancers, not all cancers. And then we have heart disease, cardiovascular disease. So if someone has had those things, they can be guaranteed they've had this toxic inflammation. And for people that haven't had those things, there are lots of laboratory tests available in research settings, tons, because all kind of uh, blood markers for inflammation, this toxic inflammation. But there is one that people can get, you know, readily get just from their primary care doctor, which is a high sensitivity HSCRP. That's a high sensitivity C reactive protein. It's a you know pretty routine blood test. It's measuring this levels of inflammation happening in the lining of your arteries. And if you, if it's above one, you can be assured there's some toxic inflammation happening in your arteries. And one thing people need to know about this toxic inflammation, unlike healthy inflammation, is that toxic inflammation is continuous or near continuous and systemic. It is happening everywhere. So if you have it in the lining of your arteries, you can be assured you're having some in your brain, you're having some in all your tissues. So that is another thing I should have mentioned. The healthy inflammation is highly targeted and transient. Whereas this meta-inflammation, this toxic inflammation we're addressing on your podcast 
is all over. We call that systemic in medicine. It is continuous or near continuous, but it is kind of this smoldering. It's a lower level, you know, when you cut yourself and it's healing, it gets hot and red and maybe a little warm. That's a little higher level. Okay. It's not that level everywhere, but it's smoldering, but it's continuous and all over. That's why it's so damaging. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder how common is that for kids to have? I think it's very, very common. Yeah. I mean, we have kids now that for the first time in human history that have adult related chronic disease. We have children, teenagers that have had a heart attacks and strokes. <laughs> we have more and more kids with autoimmune conditions, more and more kids with inflammatory bowel disease, more and more kids manifesting mental illness. Right? Yeah. 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 And I wonder if, if pediatricians like regularly use that test? Like how often is that test done? Um, you know, I wish I could say, um, because I haven't been in the clinical world for a long time and my children are now grown. So I can't really answer if, if they're routinely doing that test, you know, so I can't say that there's a great readily available routine test that pediatricians are doing to look for this. Cause frankly, other than CRP, I don't know, I don't know any other one that's, you know, routinely available. Yeah. And I'll have to after this, I'll have to look it up or get you to say it and find a resource because parents are going to want to know what to request. I know like, and I don't know if you are familiar with the Pandas Pans world, but I know like the Cunningham panel is a, is lots of different things that they're testing for titers in different areas. And I wonder if they test, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing they have to test for inflammation as well. They, they probably, they probably are. Another one uh, it's non-specific is a SED rate. You may have heard of a SED rate. SED rate is a it's a, it's also a marker for inflammation and uh, pediatricians. I mean, would, when I was practicing and I saw kids in my practice, you know, I would draw that oftentimes more so thinking about autoimmune conditions or like infections, hepatitis, things like that. So that's another one, a SED rate. And that's a very commonly done test for children that have autoimmune conditions. Yeah. Because if you already have kids with autoimmune issues, like I do, I've got two of them. And then they have anxiety and OCD, you know, it's, it's not a leap to, to worry about inflammation and think that right, if I at least right. get the inflammation under control, along with all the other therapeutic interventions I'm doing, it's just another thing I can be doing to help yeah. reduce the, the mental health symptoms I'm seeing. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands, introducing crushing OCD course for kids and teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do. So we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP trained therapist here. Um, so we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start get off to a good start with this new practice. It was easy to use. Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer. There's different ages, you know, so there were younger kids, there were teenagers. And um, so that was really nice too, to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids. It was a nice variety. It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. <laughs> I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding or touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realized that it was helpful to do like the exposures before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it. So it is definitely less loggerheads 
really, really good course and super helpful. Definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's nice bite-sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it, and I think it's really helpful. To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. So I wonder what steps parents can take. So, or for themselves too, there's going to be parents. Sure. Sure. And, and I think that, you know, a great, you know, make it a family affair. I mean, we know, you know, cultural unit in which most of us are eating is some sort of family setting, you know, right. And the simple way to wrap your head around, you know, eating diet inflammation is okay. They're a bucket of foods that we know drive inflammation and they're a bucket of incredible foods and lots of them that quiet inflammation. So let's perhaps talk about first foods that drive inflammation. And, you know, there have been literally hundreds, frankly, thousands of studies published over the last three decades that have been, you know, looking at food, diet, nutrition, and various aspects of inflammation. And what they've identified is they're a handful of ingredients in food that particularly when taken in excess drive inflammation, what are they? The top of the list is going to be saturated fats. So that's think four-legged fats. And so it's Red meat, particularly processed red meat, palm oil, which is only from what? Processed foods. There's no other place you're going to find those palm oil than processed foods. Okay. And so those are the saturated fats. And, you know, they drive inflammation by messing with the gut microbiome. They cause a leaky gut. You get LPS leaking out, which also can leak across the blood brain barrier, blah, blah, blah. Uh, So that one's pretty straightforward. What do you do? You want to totally eliminate processed red meats. That's the bacon, sausage, bologna, pastrami, ham, right? And, you know, red meat, I'm fine with high quality red meat in children for sure. It's got a lot of zinc. It's got a lot of iron. These are nutrients they need. But, you know, if you can get grass fed, it's worth it because it's going to have less of that saturated fat and it's going to have some omega-3 fats, which we'll talk about later that are really good for you. So, that's the sort of the red meat story. And then beyond that, in addition to saturated fat, we have sugar and refined carbs. I hope everyone on your podcast is aware. I think the word's getting out on just the menace that I call them the great white hazards are for our health because they're so pro-inflammatory. And, you know, again, I can get into mechanism for all these, but we'll probably run out of time if I do that. And you can ask me if you want to hear a mechanism for each of these ingredients, but, you know, to get the white stuff out right? You've got to limit dessert. You've got to limit sweets. You've got to get rid of the white flour products, the white rice, the white potatoes, at least like the hash browns and the French fries and the processed kind of white potatoes, right? Uh, And then instead of doing those, you do the healthy starches. You do the whole grains. You do the beans. You do the winter squashes. You do sweet potatoes. You do blue and purple potatoes, right? These are work in the body totally opposite of those what I call great white hazards as white foods, right? And then after that, we have these uh, omega-6 oils. So these are those processed vegetable oils that have now made their way everywhere into our processed foods. And let me remind people some stats on how much processed foods are we doing in America? 61% of our calories are from ultra-processed foods. 75% are from processed foods. 61% ultra process. It's just a disaster. I think that's the leading, if you twist more and say, what do you think is the worst thing going on in American diet as it relates to all these health issues, mental, including mental health issues, I'd say our reliance on processed foods for our sustenance versus real foods. Anyway, so those omega-6 oils, corn oil, soybean oil, safflower oil, sunflower oil, they are very high in omega-6 fats, which is an essential nutrient but the dose creates the poison. We must have omega-6. They're very important because that's what feeds into the pro-inflammatory pathways. Remember, we need some inflammation. It's how we heal. It's how we defend ourselves. But my goodness, we're taking in crazy amounts of those oils now for the first time in human history, at least in the last 60, 70 years. We, We never used to like extract those oils out of those foods and put them into food like we do now, right? Just give you a feel for this. Since 1909, there's been a 1,000-fold increase in the intake of 
soybean oil. And I challenge anyone listening to this to find a processed food that does not list one of those oils in its ingredients list. Corn oil, soy, particularly soybean oil, safflower oil, sunflower oil. Okay. And not only do those omega 6 fats feed into the pro inflammatory pathways, they're in direct competition with the king or queen of the anti inflammatory fats, which are the omega 3 fats. Anyway, back to the bad food. So, how do you get out omega 6 oils in excess? You stay away from processed foods and you don't bring those oils into your home. Instead, you bring in the you know blockbuster anti-inflammatory oil, extra virgin olive oil, right? And if you don't want the flavor of that, because you don't want that flavor for some reason, although that should be most of what you should be doing, what you should be feeding your kids, then you can use like avocado oil or organic canola oil. So anyway, omega-6, then we have just processed food ingredients in general, right? So there's 3,000 additives that are approved for use in our foods. None of them have been tested against how do they impact our microbiome. None of them have been methodically tested in children. None of them have been tested. In, what do they mean when we take them in in combination? Hello, and you probably know from your line of work that we clearly see that when we remove processed foods from the, the diets of children that have mental health disorders or like autism or ADHD, we see, we see improvements very quickly. Um, and that's because all these newfangled, crazy chemical ingredients, you know, are just kind of wreaking havoc in the body and inciting a lot of inflammation, likely working through the gut microbiome. And one particular category of processed food ingredients that we're very worried about are the emulsifiers. What we're seeing is they very quickly are altering gut, the gut lining such that the gut, the gut, our guts become leaky and things that shouldn't traverse through from the gut inside the gut into our bloodstream are getting in there, like parts of bacteria cell walls. And these things can also get make their way through the blood-brain barrier. And so emulsifiers are kind of disastrous. And there's certain ones that, you know, we want to be particularly, you know, like, don't do those. And again, I keep harp going back. If people just knew to stop eating foods that come out of a factory and instead just eat real food, right? You say to yourself, before you eat a food, could my great, great, great grandmother have eaten this or at least prepared it in her kitchen? And if you're getting a food that has this in a box or package and has an ingredients list on it, that is how you know it came out of a factory because by law, it has to have an ingredients list. You know, fine, look at the ingredients list and say to yourself, do I have each of those ingredients in my own kitchen or could I have them in my own kitchen? And if the answer is no, I would not get it. I would not get it, right? So processed foods, so we've been over saturated fats, sugar, refined carbs, omega-6 oils, and processed foods. So those are the bad ones, all right? What are the good ones? What are the good ingredients? So they're a handful. The top most anti-inflammatory ingredient you can get from food is fiber. More on that in a minute. Let me just go through the basic ingredients and I'll flesh out each one a little bit. So fiber, and then we have phytochemicals. These are wondrous compounds in plant-based foods. Then we have omega-3 fats, right? It's an essential fat. I'm sure your audience may know about that one because we use it a lot for brain-based things. And then, you know, there's certain vitamins and minerals, particularly vitamin C, vitamin E, vitamin A, which includes beta carotene, the mineral magnesium and vitamin D. All of those things I just reeled off, all those nutrients and those agents are through one way or another, and sometimes multiple ways, very anti-inflammatory. So, okay, where can we get foods that have lots of those things? So fiber is going to be your plant-based foods, fruits, vegetables, beans, whole grains, nuts, and seeds with beans, or let's just say legumes, which is beans, peas, and lentils being your nothing touches that for fiber. So the, and people need to be educated about this. Beans on average have three to four times more fiber than the average fruit or vegetable. I mean, they are, I can almost assure you anyone that unless you're having beans most every day, you've never known how healthy you could be mentally and physically, because there's no way you're going to get enough fiber to adequately feed those good gut bugs, which are kind of running the show in your body, right? And so what happens with when you take in the fiber is your good gut bacteria turns this fiber into something called short-chain fatty acids, SCAFAs, 
They are very anti-inflammatory and they play a pivotal kind of essential role in maintaining the integrity of your gut lining, keeping those gut cells nice and tight, maintaining a really healthy, robust mucus layer so things inside your gut can't reach, you know, reach, go into your bloodstream, right? So uh, you got to get your fiber. So beans at the top source, then whole grains, then fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds can make a contribution too. Second, after fiber is you have phytochemicals. So phytochemicals are these, you know, near magical compounds that developed in plants over the eons, ultimately to protect the plants from various environmental insults. And what we now know is these same plant protectors allow us to stay alive and thrive. And one of the most wonderful things they do, phytochemicals, is they have direct anti-inflammatory power and indirect, right? So they're flipping on genes, you know, doing favorable things to proteins. Um, they have amazing effects on the microbiome. They're like miracle grow for good gut bugs and weed killer for bad, right? And where do you get phytochemicals and which ones are the best? Because there's frankly tens of thousands of them and they're in all plant-based foods, but there's certain ones that are really, really special. So spices have the highest concentrations and the single most powerful anti-inflammatory food we could take in. First is at the top of the list is turmeric, then ginger, then garlic, but all spices are amazing. Cinnamon and clover are pretty amazing. And then herbs, all of them, but parsley and rosemary stand out for inflammation. And then there's a group of phytochemicals, a family called flavones that in the studies like shine really brightly. And I can just tell you right now, the foods that have the most flavones are going to be celery and apples and citrus and bell peppers and parsley. Now think about those foods. You can make a salad, a chopped salad that is delicious, that has every one of those foods in it that most kids will devour, right? And I raised four kids and I fed four kids. So that's the phytochemicals. And then we have, and you know, there's lots of other fruits and vegetables that, you know, I could reel off but just know that plant-based foods, that's why you're never going to stop hearing about plant-based diets, plant-based diets, plant-based diets. Plants are the only place you can get fiber, only place you're going to get phytochemicals. They have more nutrients per unit calorie than any other food, right? And then, all right, so next on our list of ingredients is these omega-6 fats. So, so important. They're the, they're the you know, yin and yang. So omega-6, omega-3, omega-6, omega-3. Those are the only two fats that are known as essential nutrients. You got to get them from your diet. And omega-3s feed into the anti-inflammatory pathways, and they're in direct competition with omega-6. So the list of foods that provides omega-3s is so short now. The good news is you can quickly memorize the list, but that's a tragedy. And oily fish, which are like your salmon, your sardines, your halibut, your lake trout, are filled with it, right? With salmon being the top. And then you can also get appreciable amounts, but not amounts that can replace oily fish in flax, chia, and hemp seeds, a bit in dark leafy greens, a bit in whole soy foods, walnuts, and omega-3 fortified eggs. These are eggs that the farmers have fortified the chicken feed with omega-3 fats, and they're in the egg yolk. So, and again, this, that's a major issue with children because there's so many kids that don't eat any of those foods. And I can tell you, I mean, decrease, it's not just keeping inflammation in check, it's learning. I mean, omega-3 fats make up the majority of the solid structure of our brains. So they're intimately involved in healthy brain structure. Uh, they're involved in everything your brain does with functionality, focus, mood, concentration. Am I happy? Am I sad? Am I anxious? Am I not? And uh, yeah, so they're very important, both structural and bioactive fat. Uh, and for, you know, for parents that whose kids don't eat, you know, oily fish regularly and, and include some of those other foods, then, you know, fish oil supplements or an algae-based DHA supplement is definitely, definitely something they want to strongly consider. I, you know, I gave my children all the way through, all the way through their entire childhood and they're still doing it. A good, you know, balanced multivitamin and a high quality fish oil supplement. Anyway, so that's omega-3, and then what else? Phytochemicals, fiber, omega-3 fats. And there's, beyond that, there's just this wonderful sort of a sundry 
list of superstar foods like green tea and matcha. That can be that one can be hard for like children, <laughs> but you know it's very high in anti-inflammatory phytochemicals. Dark chocolate, all nuts and seeds. They're very very special. I kind of single them out. You know, any kind of nut or seed. Walnuts are probably the tip top. Whole soy food, that's tofu, that's tempeh, that's soy milk, that's edamame. Fermented foods, this is another really, really hot area. We just had an amazing clinical trial at Stanford with a, a couple that they're probably the one of the world's most renowned microbiome scientists, the Sonnenbergs. And they pitted fiber against ramping up fermented foods in a clinical trial. And these were with adults. And they were specifically measuring, they were not only looking at the microbiome and looking for favorable changes, but they were measuring 21 blood biomarkers for inflammation. And in this six-month clinical trial, believe it or not, fermented foods totally smoked fiber in at least, you know, short-term. They were trying to, you know, include three to four servings a day, 19 to 21 blood markers for inflammation reduced. Wow. So, wow. I mean, I think fermented foods are so special and on so many fronts. And the biggest thing we see is they just very, very quickly and typically very, very comfortably, unlike ramping up fiber, can cause a shift in the gut microbiome, you know, obviously somehow fostering good species diversity and kind of knocking back these more pro-inflammatory and these bad players in the gut. And so the fermented foods, they're just, they're in the midst of a renaissance and, and, and they're just smoking hot and they deservedly so. So this is things like your kefir, your yogurt. And I just want to make sure people know kefir just blows yogurt out of the water. I mean, it's not even a comparison. And you want to do plain and you want to just sweeten it yourself with a little bit of you know, honey or maple syrup or blackstrap molasses, a more natural you know, sweetener. Don't let someone else sweeten it. The food industry, they put way too much sugar. So yogurt and kefir, and then we have um, fermented soy, which is going to be your tempeh and your natto and your miso. And then we have all kinds of fermented vegetables. We got a kraut and kimchi. And I mean, I got the other day fermented beets and fermented radishes and fermented. I mean, they just have more and more coming out. Uh, and then you have your kombucha, which is a you know fermented sort of tea uh, people could drink. And I think that's all. I just want to make sure I'm not leaving any out. I have a little cheat sheet here. Are the fermented things. And oh, you can do, vin- there are vinegars now that you can get that are have the mother in them. That means they have the fermenting body present. And there'll be a little bit of good bacteria in those too. So, you know, kind of the upshot is decrease red meat, particularly processed red meat, decrease or get rid of processed foods, decrease or you know, minimize sugary foods and beverages, particularly like desserts and sugary beverages. And on the other side, increase your intake of plants, use herbs and spices very liberally, make dark chocolate, dried, unsweetened, dried fruit or fresh fruit, treat of choice, include fermented foods as regulars in, in, in the diet. And I, you know, it doesn't take one thing about fermented foods is they're really potent in low doses. I mean, even like a tablespoon of kraut and a couple of ounces of kefir. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for kids, I'm thinking, you know, you could put kefir in a smoothie. There's all kinds of things we can do in smoothies yeah. for kids to hide things. Um, and that's kind of the, kind of the oh, use extra virgin olive oil as your oil of choice make sure they're getting that omega-3. And if, if, you know, you can't get these robust sources like, you know, some uh, salmon burgers or fresh salmon or, you know, salmon croquettes in them, then they're going to need on what I would do on days that I don't, didn't give my children like oily fish, which obviously wasn't every day. I always gave them a, a fish oil, high quality fish oil supplement. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that helps give, you know, an in-depth book on what things to try to avoid and what things to try to add. You know, I do feel like for some parents listening to this, you know, there's different spectrums of parents, you know, some are like very healthy eaters, very clean eaters, and it wouldn't be a big shift for them to, to start to move towards this change and other parents, this would be a huge undertaking. Some of us have kids who have restrictive 
I know disorders that, it, that that goes uh, they go hand in hand. I I, I mean yeah. I know I remember from my own practice seeing yeah. this, and they do. And you know, listen, I've had my own one of my own children was always tough. Um, it just was never a good eater, and he probably had more of that kind of head stuff than my other children. So I I'm empathetic with the challenge, and I can just say from experience that you know it does take. It does take perseverance and it it takes sometimes being creative a little bit, um, you know, especially if they're younger children, you almost, you can sometimes hide some of this stuff, you know, (laughs) right. Right. Like, you know, bury it in, in things, but I can say that I always found it worth the effort, even though I wanted to sometimes pull my hair out. (laughs) Yeah. I, I did notice I saw changes. Yeah. yeah. And I think it is just starting with something. I mean, some parents will be able to take this and run with it right away. It, it won't be a micro, big- a micro commitment. And so yeah. thank you for bringing that up. Listen, I can remember when I really doubled down, you know, listen, I studied nutrition as an undergraduate, but are, are you kidding me? Most of the, what I've learned then, or I mean, most of the stuff that's really relevant now, was it really even out then? And so when I decided I was going to devote myself to this, I kind of had to, I spent like actually about three years really boning up before I officially, you know, in a, yeah. in a sense, hung my shingle. And I remember realizing, whoa, I'm doing something, you know, I need to sh- sh- get my house in shape and my own, you know, what I'm doing at home. And I didn't talk about it. And I did it one step at a time. Yeah, I, I literally did. I remember how I approached it. Uh, you don't want to be come home and say, oh, we're, we're cleaning up how we're eating. No, no need to say anything. Don't say anything and just quietly do the work and start with just one thing and work on that. Like, I'm like, okay, I've got to get the great white hazards lower. Yeah. And I've got to, and, and you know, and that's, and that's how I did it. And, and, and it, it's a, it's a work in progress. And the good news is to encourage people. And this is just true across the board with any, whatever topic you're talking about with health is. There are measurable improvements from even micro commitments and mm-hmm. micro changes. I mean, we we know, particularly for brain health, mental health, cardiovascular health, that if we can increase fruit and vegetable intake just by one serving a day, there's measurable improvements in studies we can see, yeah. right, for the brain and the heart. That's yeah. pretty amazing. That is yeah. amazing. I think. And, you know, I would probably start with like even thinking about fermented foods. That's what I was thinking as you're talking. I mean, like my son has ARFID, so avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. To get him to eat anything is a miracle without him being G-tubed. And so, you know, it will be impossible to eat what you're doing. But I think we can all take bits and pieces. He has a very weird palate. You know, he's got intrusive thoughts about his food, thinks he's choking, thinks it looks disgusting, thinks he's going to throw up, all that kind of stuff. But I think there is inflammation there. He has Hashimoto's, although... I don't know how you can outgrow Hashimoto's, but they said that he's fine now. So I thought it was a lifelong thing, but I feel like there's medical aspects going on, but he does love spicy food. He loves spicy. Okay. Fascinating. He would eat kimchi. Like he would love. Wow. Wow. Okay. There you go. Kimchi every day. Yes. That's a start. I mean, that's a huge win. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so nutritious. I love and it. so yeah. easy. A lot of times these kids, you know, they have got it. They, they do have digestive issues a lot of times. And that's the other vet, big value of fermented foods yeah. is there's kind of pre-digested. They're very gentle mm-hmm. on the gut. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's you're you're thinking exactly like you should. And that's yeah. So I think it's, you know, start where your kids are at. What do they, like my daughter, who's also, you know, she has celiac and she's super picky, but a lot of gut issues I know. And I would love to give Mm -hmm. her just this healthy diet because I know her gut is suffering. But again, she just would not eat most of what you're saying, but she loves nuts. She loves nuts. And so she, you know, I'll often say, why don't you just get a handful of nuts, you know, if she's sitting there snacking or why not? Yes. Yes. And that's the kind of thing I used to do. Like, what do they like that, you know, really fits the program? Well, for goodness sakes, you know, make sure you always have that around, make sure you bring it up to them. If they're not thinking about it, make it readily accessible and visible if you can in your kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of kids that literally only eat 
the only fruits and vegetables they eat, let's say, for example, are peas and apples. And I'm like, well, first of all, get organic because mm-hmm. that's going to be a, con- a constant exposure to just one food or two foods. And you need to give them a lot of peas and a lot of apples. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. And, you know, kids will go on these like food jags where they'll only eat like maybe three or four foods, especially anxious kids or kids with OCD. Oh, oh, no question. I mean, I, you know, listen, I've got some, uh, I, I, there, I have, there's definitely some OCD in my kids and one of them to this day has, you know, this, this, his eating is, is really where it manifests his, his kind of like control of the, yeah. And he's, you know, he's super smart and he's healthy, but he's always, it's always something with his food going on. Like he's trying something, you know, this, this is new thing and he's not doing any of this stuff, but just this. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's hard. It's hard when it interjects itself in food, you know, that is definitely very tricky, but I think a lot of times parents will say, they'll ask me for resources because they really won't even know where to start. And so this has been really helpful because it, it's intuitive to you, obviously, you know, cause it's what you do, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's intuitive to a lot of us. I mean, some of the obvious things like, okay, sugar is probably not a good thing, you know, and, and raw food is a good thing. But then beyond that, to know some of the things that you touched on is really helpful so that we can take that outline and then say, okay, how do I apply this? Where do I start with yeah, this? Exactly. And, and again, no pressure, one step at a time. It is a journey. We're all, no one, you know, no one runs a marathon the first day they train. I mean, it's just yeah. not how it works. Exactly. And, uh, and even in my own, in my own family, and this is my life, professional life. I, I did it literally one change at a time and I didn't really announce it. Yeah. It definitely makes it easier. I know I actually just hired someone to just make my meals for me. <laughs> well, guess, listen, I, I get it. And you know, t- you know, time famine is one of my biggest problems. I don't have yeah. enough time to do all the things. I mean, I'm like, ha ha ha. I mean, whoever finishes their list. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is tough. And I mean, I think it's just a lot of effort to put into that. And I just, I think I'm fortunate that there was, there's a service near me that does create like these healthy, healthy meals for you. Um, yeah. And so well, it's like good. a non-brainer because otherwise I couldn't eat in that way, but my kids would not eat those meals. <laughs> so I'm like, oh. <laughs> uh, one step at a time with kids, but you did give us a whole bunch of information. I'm sure a lot of parents are sitting there taking notes and trying to gather everything. But luckily you do have an online school where you do have this information that people can get kind of on tap. Can you talk about your course on inflammation? Sure. So I have uh, lots of courses and one of my most favorite ones is that one right there, uh, how to eat to lower inflammation. And the title is self-explanatory. And I take you through with, you know, my standard way of teaching. And, you know, I try to be very inspirational and motivational because I feel like I'm as much a motivator as I am an educator. Uh, but it, it, my heart of hearts, I'm a teacher and I'm going to want you to know what I'm going to want you to know a little about mechanism. And the reason is you're the psychologist. You need to know something about mechanism because it makes it believable at the level of your brain. And even if this is a subconscious thing, if you believe something, it's way more likely to help you right? Then if you don't truly believe it. So I it cover mechanism. And then I give you the practical, always a very detailed plan of action. No one can remember everything they're hearing on, you know, on that training. So I, I mean, I take detailed notes for my students, very detailed. And I always include a detailed plan of action. You know, I, I do what I do because I really want to move the needle on people's health because I've, I've seen what changing diet and lifestyle can do for people's quality of life uh, in so many buckets. And it's just, you know, it, it that's makes life worth living to have that joy to witness that anyway. So in that, so that course detailed handout, a detailed anti-inflammatory grocery guide. And then I spoon fed, feed you even with the more condensed version, which is a cheat sheet you can put right on your fridge. And it's great. I find these cheat sheets wonderful. I even have it on my fridge, this particular one right now, because my, I'm very close to my kids are in and out. I've got one in town right now. I've got two that are, live here anyway, and they're always at my house and they see it, you oh. know, and they don't necessarily like the, in fact, some of them, they just said, don't, please don't send us any more studies. I don't, we don't want to hear anything about you know, your stuff. <laughs> Uh, but I can, I can post things if I want, right. On my own fridge. Yeah. And they, I, I know they look at it 
and my husband, right? Mm-hmm. And so a cheat sheet. So, and for uh, your listeners, we are offering a 30% discount for if anyone is interested in that course. And I think you're going to provide the link. Yeah, to, that's great. Um, I will. Thank you. Thank you so much. In the show notes, because I think that's just a, a great thing. I appreciate you offering to everybody. Sure. I'm delighted to. Thank you. People would love that resource. And I, I often get asked that, you know, like, what about diet or what about how to reduce inflammation? And I, I tend to say I don't have anything. And so I'm excited to offer that, right, that course right. and offer this podcast and offer your resources. You have a, not just on inflammation, but you know, your, your online school has a lot of classes, a lot of healthy living classes that people can tap into. And so mm-hmm. I think how to eat to reduce inflammation will be key for kids. And so for parents, we're trying to reduce anxiety right. and are looking for natural supplements to add to like their treatment approaches. This is, a yes. key, it's a key one and it's, um, yeah. if possible, you know, and I, I get it on the, the overwhelm part because with a child with ARFID and restrictive eating, who's eating, cover your ears, <laughs> like pizza rolls, frozen pizza rolls. Like, listen, I, listen, I, I, I had seven. one, I'm not, you know, nothing would shock me. I had one that would just eat candy all day if, if I would let him. <laughs> Yeah, he actually eats dark chocolate all day too, but it's definitely processed, but they're calories. So getting that kimchi in him and then slowly kind of knowing where I'm trying to guide him and knowing, you know, making more meals with chicken and, you know, looking for these smaller things. And like you said, one step at a time. And I think for parents to have your course and your resources at their fingertips will be invaluable. So thank you so much for coming on. And thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was just delightful. And uh, thank you also for the work you do. Uh, So important. And and I know it can just transform quality of life for children and their families. Oh, thanks. Well, I hope that you found that helpful. Remember, just find one tiny goal and work on that goal. And you want to collaborate with your kids and you want to work with them. Find something that they enjoy eating or things that you can switch up that they won't get too concerned with. Um, I know with my son, sneaking food into his elements into his food will not be good for his OCD because if he tastes something weird or there's something unexpected, that kind of adds to his paranoia and his intrusive thoughts about his food already tasting weird and being, you know, something that it shouldn't be. (laughs) But for others, you know, when you have little kids and they're not, that's not their theme, that's a great idea, like smoothies and other things. I think about how often I make red meat type of recipes that I could easily switch to chicken or fish. My kids actually will eat fish and I don't make it a lot. So think about what things you can switch that aren't that big of a deal because I know that your plate is already full and I know you're already overwhelmed probably. And I don't want more information to be overwhelming. I want it to be helpful. And so think about that small little piece of string that you can start pulling. For me, it's kimchi. I'm going to actually go to Sprouts right now (laughs) in a few hours. I always get very motivated when I talk to people. And I'm going to go get some kimchi. And my older daughter was like, I'll eat kimchi. So, And I was like, I could eat kimchi. And I also like, I love vinegar. And so doing like a little shot of apple vinegar with the mother whatever <laughs> in it is easy for me because I put vinegar on literally everything I eat. So find what your kids like and start working from there if you want to, right? Don't forget about her 30% off, her course, How to Eat to Reduce Inflammation. I will leave a link in the show notes. And so just click the link because the discount is embedded in the link. And so you should automatically see that link when you go to her her class. I hope that you're finding my podcast helpful and interesting. I do try to just bring you experts and information for myself and from others in the community in the world to help you help your kids with anxiety and OCD. Don't forget if you want more in-depth support that we can work together in a much deeper level in the AT parenting community. The AT parenting community only opens its doors every few months. And this is one of those times they will close on Thursday, August 17th, 2023. But, um, and we'll open it back up. Let's see, August, September, October. We'll open it back up in November, I believe. So better to join us now and, you know, start getting your support in the AT parenting community. It's actually become very intimate because I have switched to doing live Zoom calls every week. It used to be Facebook Lives and we switched it to Zoom. And we do have a Facebook group, which is only for the AT parenting community, but it was just my stream kept getting interrupted. And it was so frustrating. So we moved it to Zoom and now it's actually, I mean, a much more in-depth support because once a week we jump on Zoom and 
a lot of times there might be only like three or four of us, sometimes 10 of us, sometimes 20 of us, but it can be a very intimate group where you get direct access to me and um, you guys vote on the topic and then we have a discussion about it. It's like having an anxiety and OCD therapist on tap. It really is. Plus you get the community of 1300 other parents who are there to support you in the Facebook group, in our, we have support group Zoom calls as well once a month. The kids have their own call once a month and the teens have their own call. And it's just a wealth of support. It really is. And if you have wanted to, you know, work with me, it's, I won't be your therapist, but you'll definitely see me every week if you wanted to. And people can also ask me questions in the member only forums. And so I have ongoing conversations with parents from around the world. Um, sometimes they can't make the Zoom calls or they just find it more comfortable to just ask me in a forum setting where they can continually get my support that way and the, and the support of other parents too. So you can join that at atparentingcommunity.com. If you are watching this uh, or listening to this rather after the fact, get your name on the wait list. We will often open it in between those months when we get over 200 people on our wait list, which almost always happens. And so join the wait list. If you've missed the the opening, we will be up opening in the future and you'll be the first to know. So I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.